If I were to say some of the judges, I want to get it by raise of hands, how many people can tell me some of these things? How many people know Othniel? Ever heard of him? A couple of you, I'm getting a couple hands. Raise them high, if you know that, you should be proud of that. Come on, raise your hand. Yep, Terry's like, yep, I know. Okay, good. All right, Othniel, okay, how about, hmm, Samson? There's a lot more hands with Samson, isn't that weird? Yes. Well, if I tell you the name of Jephthah, how many people before listening to the scripture could have said, I know who that is? Yes, a couple here. You know, I did this sermon just a couple weeks ago at another church, and there were about the same many hands here. So today we're going to learn a little bit about Jephthah, but because we don't know a lot about him, I'm going to give a little background before we get started here. Jephthah was the eighth judge mentioned in the book of Judges. Eighth. So there's a lot of them there. Some of them we go into a little bit more detail. Others like, well, he judged for a couple months or a couple years, and that was it. We have a few chapters here in Judges that talk about these things. He was actually the son of a harlot, meaning that we're not really sure who his dad was. Bible says he was a son of Gilead, but he comes from the, the area of Gilead, so we're not really sure if he's just a son of Gilead because he comes from that area, or his dad was actually named Gilead. So we're not really sure about that, but he was son of a, and because he was a son of a harlot, the people there actually kicked him out of the land. So here he is, he's a guy, can't really control how he's born, but that, that doesn't seem to matter to those people. They kicked him out of the land. He has to go sojourn or dwell in another area. And through all this, he becomes a great warrior. The Bible doesn't really tell us how. We just start the story up here with the uh, problems with the Ammonites. And the people of Gilead come to him after a lot of persecution from the Ammonites and say, we need a leader. Let's get Jephthah. So apparently he made a name for himself someplace. And they come to him and they say, hey, we need a leader. And he goes, you kicked me out of the land. Why should I come? He says, I'll do it. But if I'm doing this, I'm going to be the leader of your people from now on. They said, yes, if you can come and save us from the Ammonites, that's where we are. That's where we are when we start this story. Jephthah has just talked to the people of Ammon. Now, the people of Ammon say, we want the land. You robbed it from us. Now, Jephthah goes, does a little political stuff here first. He's a wise leader. He tells him, no, he says, that's not the case. And he gives a little history lesson of what happened with the children of Israel in the, uh, the land before they took over the promised land. Well, the Ammonites don't care. They say, no, we're gonna, we, we still want the land. So Jephthah says, fine, that's what we're going to do. And that's where we are in verse 29 as we look at this together here. Verse 29, I hope you guys are ready to do a little flipping because we're going to do a little bit of flipping in your Bible. So if you don't have them out, get them out because we're going to want to look at a few passages here. As we look at verse 29, it says, And then the Spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh and passed through Mizpah and Gilead. And from Mizpah of Gilead he passed on to the Ammonites. And then Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. And he said, He will give the Ammonites into my hand. I said, If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. 
So Jephthah crossed over from the Ammonites to fight against them, and the Lord gave them into yeah, sorry. And the Lord gave it to them. Verse 33, and he says, And he struck them from Arar to the neighborhood of Mineth, 20 cities, and as far as Albuquerque, with a great blow. So the Ammonites were subdued before the Lord of Israel, before the people of Israel. Now, how significant is a vow to God? That was the first question I asked when I read this passage of Scripture. I said, study through it. How significant is a vow to God? I'm glad you asked, because we're going to look that up. Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 23. Keep your uh, bookmark or your finger in Judges. We'll be back. But Deuteronomy chapter 23. You want to turn there with me? Deuteronomy chapter 23. How important is a vow to God? We see this in this passage here. Deuteronomy chapter 23, starting in verse 21. Deuteronomy 23, verse 21. Vows to God are taken quite significantly. And we'll see this because that's what the vow was for Jephthah here. He vowed to God, so that's significant. It says, if you make a vow to the Lord, your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it. For the Lord, your God, will surely require it of you. And you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from thou vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. You shall be careful to do what has passed your lips. For you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. So in other words, if you don't keep the vow that you've made to God, it's sin. Simple as that. It's sin, but it's not only just sin, it's sin against God directly. You promise God you do something, you have to do it. Sort of makes a thing. Jesus gives us a little bit more description of this, so if you would, turn to Matthew chapter 5 now. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus gives just a little bit more insight into this passage of Scripture from Deuteronomy and his Sermon on the Mount. And I always kind of wondered, because I remember, I don't remember Deuteronomy very well, but I do remember the Sermon on the Mount. We've had lots of sermons on the Sermon on the Mount, haven't we? And so, we, so we usually that sticks in our mind a little bit more. So I do remember this passage here, but I really do like what, it sa- what Jesus says here. He says, again you have heard, starting in verse 33 of chapter 5, it says, again you have heard that it was said to, you, to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is of the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Let, you ever heard the statement, let your yes be yes and your no be no? Anybody heard that one before? Yeah, we're going to get a few nodheads. Here we go. This is where this comes from. Let your yes be yes, let your no be no. Don't swear by anything. Jesus takes it very seriously. He says, don't swear by the heavens, don't swear by the earth, don't swear by Jerusalem, don't swear by God. He says, just be a person of your word. And you don't have to swear by anything. Makes sense to me, doesn't it? But Jephthah made a vow. 
he made a vow before God. He made a vow that he would sacrifice the first thing that came through his door. Now, naturally, when we make vows like that, we automatically think that sheep are going to be the first thing to come out of our door, right? Goats. Maybe my dog is usually the first thing that comes out my door. He's faster than the kids. But yeah. But Jephthah made the vow. God takes vows seriously. He really does. And that's an important part of what we're talking about here. Jephthah's made this vow. Like, like uh, Nate already said, he said it was, a, it was an unfortunate vow. It was a foolish vow. But he made it. Now, how many can think of uh, any vows that we might have made before God? Anybody? We just celebrated our 11th anniversary yesterday. That's how I know when it is. It was yesterday. So, our 11th anniversary, 11 years Kim has put up with me. Isn't that great? Yes. Well, I thought I'd get a little bit more out of that, but okay. (laughs) Yes, 11 years Kim's put up with me, but I remember the vow specifically. My best friend from college came up, and he did... He performed the ceremony. It was the first wedding he ever did. And I remember the thing. He goes to me, he says, he says, under God, he says, You're, you are responsible for this marriage. And he says, you have my permission to divorce this woman, he says, Tim. He goes to me, he says, you have my permission to divorce this woman when Christ divorces the church. Well, I'm stuck. Because <laughs> you know what? Christ isn't ever going to divorce a church, Amen. And don't worry, Kim reminds me of that vow quite often. <laughs> but no, yeah, see, that's what he said. And I remember that because and I having an opportunity here and there to, to actually perform weddings. It's an important thing because you know what? It's a bond. It's a contract before God. Wedding ceremonies. For those of you who are planning on getting married, for those of you who are married, those of you who wish you were married, I don't know. It is a ceremony, especially before God, that says, hey, I'm coming into a covenant that represents you and the church. And you're never going to get rid of the church. You've always been faithful to him, them, to it. So therefore, I must always be faithful to my spouse. Amen? It's a vow. God takes these vows seriously. So when Jephthah comes in here, and we see this next part, as we look at this next part, so turn back to Judges. Judges chapter 11, looking in verse 34. Judges eleven thirty-four. turn there, if you would. Give, give me a few seconds to get there. But before we do that, I want to just read one passage. I'm not going to ask you to turn there, but I'll, I'll read it for you. Galatians 6. Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8 says, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever one sows, that will you also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. One of the things we realize is when we make decisions in our life, we have to deal with the consequences. One of the things I've tried to explain, especially to my four-year-old lately, that there are consequences when he doesn't obey. I had to chase him around a house yesterday. I taught him there were consequences to not obeying. God's the same way with us. 
we're allowed to make our own decisions. We have free will. But the decisions we make can have consequences. And we look at that in verse 34. Then Jephthah came to his home at Mizpah, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with the tambourines, with dances. She was the, his only child. you imagine this? Think about this. He had just gotten this great victory against the Ammonites. All the stress was gone. Everything was clear. I'm going home. I'm going to see my family. We have this great victory. I've got a good position now. And his daughter runs out being excited that her dad is home. With a tambourine, she's dancing around. She's saying, look at this, my dad won. And instead of joy, instead of hugs and kisses and all that stuff, what does Jephthah do? Verse 35, And as soon as he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low, and you have become the cause of great trouble to me. For I have opened my mouth to the Lord, and I cannot take back my vow. Now, Nate talked about this, you know, having daughters. and I, I hear you. I don't have daughters. I have three sons. But to lose any one of them in any way would be heartbreaking to me. It would be heartbreaking. And to know that I was the cause of her pain or his pain in this case, would be horrible. There are two ways to look at this that we see. Uh, there, there's some controversy. And I do remember this because this actually was brought up in my preacher class when I was in college. Uh, there was two uh, things. We had two professors. One was uh, Pastor Shetler. He was the head of our ministerial seminar that we had. And then we had uh, Dr. Nonamaker. And he was a blunt guy, so he was interesting. Um, I'm, not tol- I'm told I'm not allowed to tell you exactly what he said, so I won't. But um, they, they had a disagreement with this. Pastor Shetler says, I believe he gave her to the temple. That's what I believe. And he goes, and the other professor, Pastor Donamaker, says, I, I believe he actually sacrificed her. So, there are two differing views in this thing. I have my view. I'm not going to share that with you. You want to ask me later on? You can but uh, that, that's a deep conversation. Nevertheless, Jephthah had to sacrifice his daughter one way, shape, or form. Whether it was given to the temple or whether he actually had to sacrifice her, I don't think we'll really ever know. It'll just be a, a uh, conflict with uh, Bible scholars from now on. But he had to give her up. He had to let her go. There are consequences to our actions. Amen? There are consequences to what we do. And when we do not follow God, it is interesting to see. But there are some parallels here. I think they're really significant. As we look in verse 36, here it says, And she said to him, My father, you have opened your mouth to the Lord. I find that very interesting, the way the ESB translates this. You know, because uh, open mouth, insert foot. Uh, I like how he puts this. He says, My father, you have opened your mouth to the Lord. And he says, Do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth, now that the Lord has avenged you and your enemies on the Ammonites. 
Now, this is one amazing girl. It really is. Think about this. Your dad comes up and tells you, I just made a big mistake. There's going to be some consequences to this. Brent, you think Ashlyn would do that? <laughs> I'm going to say no. What do you think, Dennis? you think uh, Avalon would be well willing to do that, go with it? Avalon? She's going, no. No. I know Theron wouldn't. I don't even ask that question. He's like, what did you do? Well, it sounds like you've got a problem now, don't you? Yes. But she doesn't do that. She says, you made a vow to the Lord. You've made this vow. She said, you've got to follow through. What an amazing testimony she has for a young girl, probably in her teens, to say this. What an amazing testimony it is. I, I, I marvel at this, and I see this, and you know, honestly, it's not a perfect picture, but it really is a picture of what Christ did for us on the cross, amen? God said, we need a sacrifice. The people of this world are not going to be able to get there on their own merits. We need someone that's going to be perfect. And Christ said, I'm willing to do that. He died on the cross for us, amen? He was willing. And we see here just, and, I, and the Bible's full of them if you take a look. We see here pictures of what Christ did for us on the cross. And the willingness. In this case, it was a daughter willing to sacrifice herself for a father's tragic vow. So we've seen right now so far, we've seen the significance of the vow. We've seen the significance of the consequences here. Let's look at one more point here, the significance of the man. When I first started studying this, I was ready to throw the book at Jephthah. I'm like, what? What a stupid vow. It's like, Think about it for a minute. It says, what would happen if it was a neighbor that came out of the house? They were visiting that day, and they saw him coming. Neighbor come out. Oh, sorry, I'm going to have to sacrifice you. You think about that for a minute? Or what happens if it was, you know, a stranger that was, because back in that time, strangers visited, right? They, 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 that, if they had a place that they needed to stay, they, there was no hotels. So what'd they do? They would stay at people's houses, it was considered hospitality and a great honor to open their house to people. That's what they would do when they were traveling. What happens if someone like that came out? They were getting ready to leave. Well, thank you for the thing. Jephthah walks up. Sorry, I'm going to have to sacrifice you. I mean, really, seriously. Wow, what a vow. But Jephthah wasn't, he was a man. He made a mistake. And we can see this here. Because he has some redeeming qualities. For one thing, I really believe he was a good father. He had to have been a good father. Otherwise, that daughter wouldn't have been willing to do what she did. I was like, man, I, I need to get some parental advice from Jephthah right now. I'm like, think about that. Okay, Dad, you made a mistake. Okay, did Really? He was a good father. We see that in verses 35 and 36. But this is the one that really killed me. Do you know, how many people know about the Hall of Faith? Hebrews chapter 11, you guys are familiar with that? Let's turn there for a minute. Hebrews chapter 11. One of my favorite passages in the scripture is Hebrews chapter 11. You know what? I'll be honest with you, I've read it several times, 
And I did not notice this until, just, until it was pointed out to me. Hebrews chapter 11. Starting in verse 32. Hebrews 11, starting in verse 32. Give you a second to turn there. The Hall of Faith is an interesting place. We see so many Bible characters that had great faith that Paul is mentioning here. Just one right after the other of people that have done great things. And through them all, we see some interesting people mentioned at the end of it all. Verse 32, it says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Wait, 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 wait. Jephthah's in the hall of faith. What? Why? I feel like telling God right now, it's like, hey God, didn't you read that part where he kind of made that big mistake? Why is he in the hall of faith? Well, this is why God's greater than me, I guess. It's a lot more forgiving, amen? He not only is mentioned in the Hall of Faith, but you know what? He judged the people of Israel for another six years after all this was done. He judged to his death. He was a person that judged. Judges chapter 12, 7 you can turn there if you want to. You look at it, but we'll just summarize it for a second here. It basically says, and he judged the people till his death. He judged them for six years. Wow. Jephthah, through it all, God forgave him. He kept his word. He, he obeyed the law. He made a vow to God. He had to obey it, and he did. I, he was responsible for ruining his daughter's life. There was consequences to that if you think about it. It was his only daughter. Think about it. There are no more lineage of Jephthah after this. His daughter's gone. His only child. That was important back then. He never got to see her get married. He never got to see grandkids. It was done. Through it all, we see just how powerful the forgiveness of God can be. God shares His testimony with us. He made a mistake, and yet the consequences were not too great for our God. Amen? I want to close with two points. Not Pastor Adam, I don't tend to go too long. <laughs> but I want to close with two points. It'll be a few minutes. Don't, don't close your Bibles just yet. The first point is if you could turn to Judges chapter 21. Judges chapter 21, and look at the very last verse. The very last verse kind of ties in 
kind of goes with our title. Judges 21, verse 25, it says, In those days there were no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So for my first closing point, I really want to point out here, are we looking through God's eyes? Are we taking and making our decisions based on Scripture and what the Lord challenges us to do? And the only way to do that is to read it, amen? And to know it. Or are we may saying this? I've heard this statement a lot of times. Well, I feel that it's right to do... I feel that it's right to do this. Instead of, the Bible says this. What's significant about the Bible? Well, it's God's holy word, amen? Amen? There we go. You're awake. Good. It's God's holy word. That's the significance of it. He makes the rules, not us. Amen to that. But we, all of them did what was right in their own eyes. Through the whole book of Judges, you look at every one of those judges. None of them were perfect. You look at Samson. Huh. You ever seen his life? I remember as a kid, I loved Samson. He wanted to be strong. I wanted to beat up all those people. That would be great. Took a lion, he beat a lion. You've seen a lion? They're huge. Especially when you're five. It's like he beat up a lion, he got him, took out a hundred people with the bone of a donkey. Ew, but he did it. But he also was a womanizer. Oh. He liked to hang out with harlots a lot. Didn't really want to hang out with people of God. Uh, his women problems is why, why he got captured in the first place. He ended up having his eyes plucked out because of it. Not really a great role model. But he's in the hall of faith. Gideon. Yeah, we know about Gideon, right? We've talked about him. The whole fleece thing. He needed three uh, assurances from God before he really started doing what God wanted him to do. I don't know what made him think about a fleece and do. But he did. Also says he had many, many wives and had 70 boys. Can you imagine the grocery bills on that guy? In our day and age, that would be considered pretty bad. But he's in the hall of faith. God tells us things. There are consequences. Gideon's consequences were that all his sons died. Oh. Samson's consequences is that he had to die. He killed more people in his death than he did in his whole life. We can go on. So there are consequences to our sin. We need to be careful of what we're doing, that we're not doing what is right in our own eyes, but what is right in God's eyes. But there is another thing here. I read a book not too long ago by John Piper, and it really stuck home with me, and I can't remember the name of the title, and I did not write it down for some reason. So I'll have to give that to you later. But he was talking about three men of the faith, not, not in the Bible, but actually, modern Christians, well, modern as opposed to the Bible. Uh, how many people are familiar with St. Augustine? You ever heard of him? Well, there's a couple hands here. Good, good, good for you scholars. 
All right, how about Martin Luther? You ever heard of him? Okay, yeah, there's a couple more hands. And, and he talked about John Calvin as well. And in those passages, one of the things he did, he started out with, he, and this kind of interests me in the book, otherwise I don't know if I would have paid attention too much to it. He told me their faults first, that they weren't perfect. You know Martin Luther, when he got mad, he swore? Did you know that? I didn't either. I thought it was interesting. Wait, wait a minute. This is Martin Luther, 95 Thesis, you know, starting of the Reformation. He had to have been a saint. He was perfect. No, no, he wasn't. St. Augustine, before he became a believer, had, he never married and had two mistresses on the side. Uh, he wasn't a very good guy as far as it came to women because when he decided he wanted to get married, he sent his one mistress back to Africa and told her, good luck. That was his claim to fame as far as sin goes. And I have a point to all this. The point is that God can use whoever he wants. There may be somebody out there today. There may be somebody out there today that's saying, I messed up. I'm a believer. I believe in God. But I messed up so bad, God will never be able to use me. I don't know your hearts. I don't know what's going on. But it, if God can use Jephthah with the mistake he made, God can use people like Martin Luther, who wasn't perfect, but had a fiery temper from what historians tell us. If God can use these people to do great and wonderful things, can he use you? We have a church body where COVID's getting done now, hopefully, prayerfully, amen? And yeah, there we go, amen. And there's opportunities again to serve the Lord in our church and, and elsewhere. Don't let the enemy convince you that you're not good enough to serve him. The Bible's full. Terry was talking, we were at our deacons meeting just the other day. And Terry was talking about it. he was doing. It was David, correct? We were doing the study with, and he pointed out, and I was like, "Man, he's going to preach my whole sermon before he got through." Yeah, but he pointed out in David that he says, "David, he says, man, he says some of the sin we haven't got to the sin of Bathsheba yet." But he was a man after God's own heart. My encouragement to you, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, is this: as we close. God can use whoever he wants. If he can create this whole world out of nothing, he can use an imperfect person just like you and I.